got to get a grip. Uh, you have to have traction. Uh, traction, by definition, is maximum frictional force between two surfaces without slipping. So when a tire has traction, it's not slipping. It's gripping the surface and it's moving the vehicle forward. Uh, this can apply also in our lives. We do not want to lose grip. We do not want to slip. We do not want to uh, lose traction. You know, when I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't do it. It's like my wheels are spinning in one spot. There's motion, but there's no real movement, no, no progress, no momentum. And what happens when you're in a, a slippery, wet, muddy, or snowy spot and your tire spins, it rotates, but you don't go anywhere. You just dig yourself deeper and deeper into a what? A rut. That's right. We wind up stuck in a rut. The longer we know what to do and choose not to do it, the longer we stay in that mode, we dig our ruts deeper and deeper and deeper. You know, there's the statement out there that knowledge is power. But truthfully, knowledge by itself is not power. Knowledge only becomes power when you put the knowledge to action. Knowledge by itself is fairly worthless. In fact, it just puffs up. It brings greater judgment. But when I put knowledge into action, I can move forward. There's power in my life. Very first fill-in on your outline. Action requires traction. If I'm going to make any progress in my life, I've got to get some traction. Just to know something is not enough. I've got to put it into action. So action requires traction. But our enemy brings distraction. Satan loves to impede our progress. He loves to hold us back. He loves it when our wheels spin and we go nowhere, digging deeper and deeper and deeper into ruts. Distractions now, are not always real obvious things. I mean, yeah, there's bad things, there's sinful things, and we see those, and we go, oh, I shouldn't do that in my life. But sometimes the distractions aren't quite so obvious. Hebrews 12.1 says we should put aside the things that slow us down, especially the sin that hinders our progress. Yes, there are sinful things that are obvious that create obvious ruts in our life. But there are some things that are not so overtly bad that we know uh, automatically to avoid them. There are some things that the enemy tries to sneak in on us to impede our progress. I, I want to share four distractions that can sneak up on us if we're not paying attention. Uh, the first one is bad attitudes. Bad attitudes. When Katie and I were a young married couple, uh, we didn't have any kids yet, and we befriended an older retired couple. They were empty nesters, didn't have any kids, and so we both, uh, as couples, were kind of footloose, and, and they took us under their wing, and we did a lot of stuff with this couple. And it was fun because um, uh, they were rich. <laughs> and uh, they had their own airplane. And Cy had been a test pilot during World War II. He'd actually flown with Chuck Yeager and all those guys. This guy knew Orville Wright. That's how much of a pilot he was. And I remember the first time they took us up in their plane, we're flying along, and I'm in the co-pilot seat, and Cy looks over at me and says, Kelly, you want to fly the plane? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm up in an airplane, way up in the air with an idiot, because this guy wants me to fly the plane. I don't know anything about flying a plane. 
And then he starts telling me about the gauges. You know, he points out that this one's for airspeed, and this one's for fuel level, and this is the altitude indicator, and there's a gauge for attitude. In an airplane, you have an attitude indicator. And the attitude indicator tells the pilot where the nose of the plane is in relation to the horizon. If the nose of the plane is pointed toward the sky, the attitude indicator shows that the plane is headed up. If the attitude indicator is pointed down, it means that the plane is headed toward the earth. That's good information if you're flying an airplane. But the attitude indicator tells the pilot if the plane is going up or down. Now, whether you're in a plane or not, our attitudes tell us whether we're headed up or down. You know, because if your attitude is good, you're headed up. But if you have a bad attitude, you're headed down. And it's a very common distraction that the enemy uses is to bring us a bad attitude. And so I just ask you today, what's your attitude indicator today? You know, are you going up or are you going down? Because that's a distraction that the enemy will use to keep you in a rut, a bad attitude. Second distraction he can use is excuses. Uh, The enemy will provide us with excuses to keep us in ruts. Because when we know we're supposed to do something, but we don't necessarily want to do it, we can come up with a hundred excuses of why we shouldn't do it. And as long as I come up with excuses, I'm not going to get any traction. Because I'm going to justify why I'm doing, continuing to do what I'm doing now. And won't do the right thing. Excuses create an escape hatch. Uh, they are a distraction. More than that, I, look, I love this quote. Excuses are the nails used to build a house of failure. That's how damaging excuses can be. Another distraction is procrastination. Now, growing up as a child, I, I was the poster child for procrastination. I mean, I could put off anything, and I struggled with that in high school, struggled with it in college. Honestly, it was part of my recovery process. I had to learn to grow out of that, to move away from procrastination. I've actually written a book on how to overcome procrastination, but I keep putting off publishing it. But procrastination has to do with the pleasure and the pain principle. Uh, All the emotions that God created within you can be lumped into one of two categories. They are either pleasure or pain. Every emotion that you have uh, either brings pleasure or pain. And the things that we perceive to be pleasurable, we're attracted to those things. We are drawn to those things. The things that we perceive to be painful, we're repulsed by those. We avoid those things. For example, with your kids. You know, your kids don't often come home from school and immediately sit down and start doing homework because they perceive that to be painful, and so they put it off. They delay it. You know, when we exercise, for many of us, we have a perceived idea that that exercise is going to be painful. It's viewed as a drudgery, and so we put it off, and we don't do it. You know, we're not drawn to the things that are unpleasant, and and we uh, are drawn to the things that are pleasurable. You know, my wife has never, I've been married 38, 39 years, my, my wife has never had to say to me, Kelly, why don't you put on a John Wayne movie and take a nap on the couch? She's never had to tell me to do that because I am drawn to that. I do that automatically. I love to watch a John Wayne movie with my eyes closed. Okay? You don't have to tell me to do it. 
shoveling the driveway, doing our taxes, cleaning out the garage. You know, those are perceived as painful, and so I avoid them. Now, procrastination is one of the distractions that the enemy uses to keep us in a rut. You know, we will put things off to the point that our wheels are spinning and we're going nowhere. Last distraction, busyness. The enemy uses busyness to keep us in a rut. Uh, How many of you would say you're busy? Anybody here say you're busy? Okay, some of you would. How many of you know people who think they're busy, but they're not busy? Okay, yeah, more of you put your hands up on that. Okay, yeah, it's just part of our culture today. Everybody says they're busy. You're just expected to say that you're busy. And there are people who say they're busy, but they're really not, because that's what society expects. And the enemy uses the idea of busyness to keep us from doing the things that are truly worthwhile. You know, we can fall into a trap. There are so many things for your kids to do, so many things for your family to do, for you to do. We can fall into the trap of just becoming busy doing things that really provide no momentum, no movement forward. We're just spinning our wheels in the rut. And we have got to learn to say no to some good things in order to be able to do the best things that will really give us traction and move us forward. Because when we say yes to everything, even if it's good things, if we say yes to everything, then we're just spinning and we're not making any real movement. Now, how do we handle these distractions? James 1.22 says this. It says, do not merely listen to the word. That's the word of God. And so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. That's that's the really big deal. Do what it says. If you're going to get traction, if you're going to break out of that rut, you've got to do it. James goes on, he says, if you just listen and don't obey, it's like you were looking at your face in a mirror but doing nothing to improve your appearance. You see yourself and you walk away and you forget what you look like. But if you keep looking steadily into God's perfect law, the law that sets you free, that's the Bible, the Word of God, And if you do what it says, and don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you obey it, if you do what it says, if you don't forget what you've heard, then you will get traction and you will move forward as God blesses you. And James says that that the problem is, is that when you hear the word and you do nothing to change, If you stay in that cycle long enough, it is spiritually damaging for you to do that. If you hear what the Bible has to say, but you refuse to do it, you choose not to do it, if you do it long enough, it it damages you spiritually. You know, sometimes you read in the Bible and it's painful because there's the sting of conviction there. I see areas of my life that need to be corrected. I see action steps that I need to take in my life. God gives us his word to keep us on his path, to direct our lives. Because he knew that without that, we'd just be spinning. And that's the struggle that we're faced with. Paul talks about it in Romans 7. He says, I know I'm rotten through and through so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. And Paul says, I've I've just got this old sinful nature. I've got this old way, these old habits, these old patterns, this old rut of doing things, and I just can't break out of it. 
It's hard. I feel like that sometimes. I mean, I feel like my wheels are spinning. No movement, no progress, no momentum. How do I get out of those ruts? You know, if you're going to experience the destiny, the plan that God has for your life, you've got to break free from those ruts. So to gain traction, you need to get a grip. You need to get a grip. Hebrews 12, 12 says, So take a new grip with your tired hands and stand firm on your shaky legs. So today I'm going to talk to you about how to get a grip. I was going to do traction, but that's eight letters and we'd be here till noon. So I opted to do grip. It's only four letters, G-R-I-P. Grip and traction are the same thing. So if I'm going to get out of these ruts, I'm going to, uh, number one, I gain momentum by disrupting your patterns. Now, it's easy to assume that these are negative patterns that I need to break, negative habits in my life, negative things I need to overcome, but there are also things in your life that are not sin in and of themselves. There are things that you do that keep you in a rut, keep you from moving forward, but they may be, they're not necessarily negative things. They're just ingrained patterns, the old sin nature, and it keeps us, and we've got to disrupt those. Now, it's interesting how God builds our minds to where we just have these ingrained patterns and we can kind of do things even without thinking about them. Uh, have you ever done this? Have you ever gotten in your car to go somewhere and, and as you're driving somewhere where you maybe work or, or wherever, and on the way you start thinking about other things? And all of a sudden you wind up where you were going, but you don't remember driving there. Has that ever happened to anybody? Any of you ever? Oh, good, because I thought maybe I was the only one. You know, my wife, this has happened to me more than once. I'm not proud of this. I'm just being honest, okay? More than once, maybe many times, <laughs> my, my wife has given me a list of things to get from the grocery store. And, uh, I, you know, we're, we're like eight blocks from Price Chopper, and so I get in the car and I drive to Price Chopper, and on the way there, I start thinking about something, and and I get distracted. Usually I'm writing a sermon, something spiritual. And, and the next thing I know, I'm in the parking lot at church. And my daughter's laughing because she's been in the back seat when that's happened. You know, she's like, what are we doing here? How do we get here? And I, I, I don't remember any intersections. I don't remember any stoplights. I don't, I don't know if I ran over somebody. I mean, I'm just here. How can you do that? How can you drive to work and not remember how you got there? It's an ingrained pattern. When, when the conscious uh, shuts off, the subconscious turns on. And those ingrained patterns begin to function. That's how you can drive somewhere familiar and you don't even remember how you got there. It wasn't by chance that you got there. It was an ingrained pattern in your mind. Now, you know, how many times have you gone to a restaurant, favorite restaurant, and on your way there you think, tonight I'm going to get something different. And then the, the, the guy laughs because it's happened. Then the, 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 the server steps up and takes your order, and what do you do? You order the exact same thing because we're creatures of habit. We, we move toward conformity. We conform to those ingrained patterns, and we don't even realize it. And the problem spiritually is, is that God knew that mankind was in a deep, dark, ingrained pattern of sin. That's why Jesus Christ had to come and die, to disrupt that pattern of sinful behavior in our lives. Look what Jesus said in Luke 12, 51. He says, do you think that I came to smooth things over and make everything nice? 
Not so. I came to disrupt and confront. Jesus came to disrupt and confront. He came to to awaken us, to shake us out of our sinful ruts, our ingrained patterns of bad behavior, some bad behavior, and to wake us up. And again, we tend to think, oh, that's, that's, that's all sinful things. No, there are things that we do that we aren't even aware of that keep us stuck in our ruts. Not necessarily sinful, they just keep us from changing and growing. So I'd encourage you as we move into a new year, as you're looking for new ways to grow spiritually, to just shake things up a little bit. You know, drive home a different way. Choose another date night. Okay? Maybe you do your devotions in a different spot. Maybe you, you do your budget at, at a different time of the month. Maybe you, 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 know, you do think you move the computer to a different spot so that you're not as tempted to look at things in old green patterns there. Other people can see what's happening. You make a change. You disrupt a pattern of behavior so that you can do things in a new and fresh and better way. That'll help you to gain momentum. Now you say, oh, pastor, that's just silly. Well, it's not. Try it. You know, read a book that's outside of your typical preferences for books. You know, see if disrupting those old patterns doesn't help you to grow and break out of your rut. Romans 12.1 talks about changing the way you think. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know what God wants you to do, and you will know how good and perfect and pleasing His will really is. Key phrase there is don't copy, don't repeat. Now, you know, we have a tendency to do that, to just kind of copy things, do things over and over, everything that's going on around us. And and we can think of that as copying bad things, but what if we thought of that in terms of the ingrained patterns of the world and the culture around us? Like bad attitudes and excuses procrastination, and busyness. What if we said, I want to break out of those ruts this year. I'm going to do something different. Next, if we're we're going to get a grip, we've got to rely on God's strength, not our own. You know, left to our own strength, we'll continue to do things the same way we've always done them. That's what Paul says in Romans 7. You know, without Christ stepping in, you know, we're just saying the victory is his. The victory's not mine, it's Christ's. Look, look at this statement on your outline on the screen. The end of our own strength can be the turning point to discover the power and the might of God. You know, I don't know that I have ever consciously said, God, I appreciate your help, but I got this. I don't know that I've ever said, God, I know who you are, I know you're sovereign, but I, I can handle this. I, I've never consciously said that, but I have said that in my attitudes and my actions. You know, I've just said, you know, God, I, I, I don't need your help. I'm not spending time in his word. I'm not spending time with him. I get disconnected from God, disconnected from his people. And pretty soon I'm operating out of the flesh in my own strength. And that's when I do or say something that I regret. You know, I look back and I, oh, I see what happened. I, I pulled away from God. I wasn't really leaning on God's strength. I was trying to do that on my own. It doesn't happen. The power from God. None of that power comes from us. It's God's power flowing through us. But it doesn't come from us. It flows through as I submit, surrender my life to God. I just say, God, you got to show up. you got to help me do this. you got to work through me. 
your power has to flow through me. You've got to energize me to do these tasks if I'm going to break out of this rut. Now, we're not built by God to do that on our own. You know, the Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but it's through the body of Christ where that happens. It's in community. It's in connection with other believers. You know, that's why we have a church. That's why we have Celebrate Recovery. That's why we have small groups because it gets you plugged in with other people and that's where you discover the power that Christ wants to bring to bear in your life. If you're not in a small group, I'd encourage you. We're, our small groups are starting up. After the service, just walk across the, the uh, uh, way here and go see t- Pastor Tom and his team in the fellowship hall. And they'll g- help you get plugged into a small group. You know, I can't rely on my own experience, my own intelligence, my own ability or talent. I, 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 that's all human. I, I've got to have the spiritual, supernatural power of God flowing through me in order to do these things. Next, uh, the I in grip. Identify and implement small action steps that you can take each day. Okay? If I know that there are areas of my life that need attention, I may not be able to develop a grand master plan that's going to solve it. You know, I may not be able to develop a grand master plan that's going get to get me out of debt quickly. I may not be able to restore a marriage quickly. You know, I have to, to identify and implement small action steps that I do every day that move me uh, toward that process. There's power in doing something uh, every day. You know, you do something once, uh, you know, the impact of that may not be all that impressive. You do something 365 times, that'll take you somewhere. You know, one step doesn't get you very far. 365 steps, that'll set the direction of your life. That'll take you in a direction, move you somewhere. You know, you identify and implement things that you need to do, action steps that you do over time. That's traction. Traction is making small amounts of progress. It's the turn of the wheel over and over. You know, when you drove up here to church today, the tire on your car didn't just turn over once. No, it's repetition. So traction's not something that we do once. It's not something we do all at once. Traction is something that happens consistently over time. And too often, we, you know, we procrastinate, we put off, say, oh, I'm going to do it when the time is right. The right time never comes. Or we say, I'm going to do that tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. I mean, never in my life has tomorrow come. You know, I don't know where the tomorrows go, but they just disappear. All I got is today. And so I set action steps that I'm going to do today. So if I see something I need to change in my life, in my health, in my finances, my marriage, my spiritual walk, in my job, you know, I know something that I need to do, then I've got to identify and implement small action steps and then do them every day. You know, if you haven't read your Bible in six months, don't, don't, don't write down for an action step, I'm going to go home and read the whole book of Romans in the original Greek. I mean, that's just too big an action step. It's not going to happen. But you can go home and read three or four verses. And if you read three or four verses every day, Over the course of a year, that's a thousand verses. Will a thousand verses change your life? Yes, a thousand verses. That'll set the direction of a life. It'll move you toward Christ-likeness, move you toward a goal. It's just something that you do over time. Ecclesiastes 11.4, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. 
So don't wait till the time is right. Don't wait for tomorrow. Just pick something. Do it every day. That leads to, to the P in GRIP. Persistently pursue your action steps. Now, you need to realize that once you decide that you're going to break out of a rut, you do something to disrupt the pattern, you ask God to help you, you identify some action steps, you need to realize that the first thing that's going to happen is, is you're going to fail. You're going to fall down. You, know, you break out of that rut, you're, you know, you're blazing new territory here, you're going to stumble, you're going to fall. Happens to all of us. It's not a matter of if you fail, it's a question of when you fail, what will you do? Because the only way not to fail is to do nothing. The only way you can prevent failure is to do absolutely nothing. And doing nothing is in itself a failure. You know, you just got to step out there and try it. And, and so when you stumble, when you fall, are you going to stay down or are you going to get back up? Are you going to quit? Oh, I tried something new. It didn't work. I'm done. No, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. Because at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Do you realize that God has a special plan for you? God has a plan and a purpose uniquely designed for your life. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are God's masterpiece. We are God's workmanship. God has something that he wants you to do, wants you to accomplish. And the only way to do that is to persevere, to pursue it. Uh, you know, you've got to break out of those ruts. You know, the Bible is different than, than, than almost any other book. You, you can read almost any other book and not have to respond. You know, I can read a novel and I don't have to have a response. But if you come face to face with the Word of God, face to face with Jesus Christ, you've got to respond. There's an action that's required. God expects you to respond. And when we know what we should do and we don't do it, we dig a really deep spiritual rut. We spin our wheels. We go nowhere. Now, there's a real danger in this. James talks about this. There is a spiritual danger in this. Uh, there's a disease in the Bible called leprosy. Leprosy still exists today. It's just not to the same degree. But leprosy is interesting because it attacks the central nervous system in such a way that the leper can't feel his or her hands or feet or toes. They can't feel their extremities. They lose feeling uh, in the extremities. And a leper can literally drop something in a fire, reach into the fire, fumble around for it, and pick it up and not realize that they have been burnt until they look at their hand and see the damage that they've done. We, we used to think that lepers' extremities would fall off, but what we've learned is that they didn't just fall off. The truth is, is that they were just so susceptible to hurting themselves. You know, the reason why their feet would disappear is because they would just wear them off. They'd wear off their hands and, and, and their extremities because they would just scrape and wound and, and brutalize themselves, not knowing that they were doing damage. In fact, doctors in leper colonies, you know, back in the old days when they used to send them off to live, would actually recommend that, they have, uh, that lepers have cats because at night the rodents would come in and would gnaw on their extremities. And they wouldn't even wake up because they they'd lost all their feeling. And so they would wake up and their hand would be gone or they'd wake up and, and literally uh, things had eaten. I'm not trying to gross you out here, I'm just trying to make a point. And James describes, that's what he's saying has happened. When you look into God's word and you know you are supposed to do something, but you do nothing about it. 
He says, you, if you do that over and over and over, you are creating a spiritual numbness. You are desensitizing your, your spiritual mechanism to the point that you are doing damage to yourself. And when you get in a rut and you're spinning and spinning and spinning, you are wearing out that tire. You are damaging that vehicle going nowhere. And many of us, that's what's happening in our lives. We, we have, have shut ourselves off from the power of the Word of God to the point that we are just wounding ourselves. You know, we can't see God's will, God's purpose, God's destiny for us because we have become spiritually numb because we have chosen not to do what the Word of God says that we are supposed to do. It's a dangerous position to be in. But God has given us a tremendous opportunity to use our personal life in, in our church. God gives us an opportunity to be a great blessing to other people, a great blessing unto the world. But we can't do that if our tires are spinning and we can't get any traction. The, the church is like a motorcade. The church is like a convoy. It is going to move. The church is going places. God, in this day and age, God has his hand on the church. God has his hand on this church. And we are going to move. And we are going to move forward. And the question is, are you going to move with us? Or are you going to stay stuck in a rut? And James tells us that's spiritually damaging. Let's pray together. God, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you loved us so much that you were willing to send Jesus Christ to come and disrupt our lives and confront us. And maybe you're here today and, and you've, you've never opened up your heart and life and made that commitment to live for Jesus Christ. But I'd invite you to do that, to just say, God, come into my life. Thank you that you can forgive me of my sins, that you can give me power and, and your presence and, and, and your plan, you can move me forward in my life. And maybe you're here today and you're just stuck in a rut in some area of your life. I'd invite you just to break out of that rut, to do the things that you need to do in response to God's word, to get some traction, to, to get a grip, to be able to move forward. Father, I thank you for the hope and the future that you offer to us. I thank you for the, the gift of the church, the gift of small groups and celebrate recovery and the ministry of your word in our lives. I just pray that as we hear that, that we would respond and do, obey, so that we can move forward. Thank you for that hope. In Jesus' name, amen.